Welcome to Teaching Root. Today we're going to talk about something that is close and near and dear to all of us. Yep. How to establish a positive classroom culture. Um, this is a really important thing and happens right from the start of the year. And it's kind of one of those things that when done well, your students will succeed far more than you can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, there's a million philosophies on how this is done. Oh, huge. So we're just going to kind of cover a few of them and go from there. Yeah, it all really comes back to that famous quote. I don't know who said it first. They don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. It really does come back to that. There's another Mark Mark Twain quote, which I love, that kind of ties into this, which uh, I actually got this off uh, Al Gore's uh, Gore's, uh, talk that he did a couple years back on Inconvenient Truth. And he was quoted quote of Mark Twain. It's not an exact quote, but it's pretty much the same quote. Paraphrase. Paraphrase, which is, um, it's not what you know. Sorry, it's not what you don't know that matters. It's what you think you know that just ain't so. So. If, you, if you do a Google search on establishing positive classroom culture, you come up with about 2 million different results yeah. to filter through. There is a lot of stuff out there. So we're going to talk about some of the more major ones that have been pushed these days. Yeah. Um, as well as what's actually worked for us personally, because quite frankly, different strategies are going to work in different classrooms depending on who is in your classroom that year. Yes, absolutely. So, um, first off, there's, there's been a big push a lot in international schools especially, but in schools in the United States and Canada and various other places in the world, about a growth versus fixed mindset. And I know there's some stuff to say this thing is a bit of a hoax, but there's a lot of research to say it isn't. Um, and what we, the growth versus fixed mindset idea is it's how you talk to yourself and how you perceive yourself. Um, a growth mindset person will be someone who, when they don't succeed at something, will kind of say, I can do better. Versus a fixed mindset person will say, I failed at this and can't do it. We often see fixed mindsets in music classes where you've got people who come in and say, I can't sing or I'm not talented in music. I'm not able to do this. And in in, in a lot of schools in math or reading or writing, you'll get a lot of kids who have a, who don't necessarily like the subject. And as a result, it's the, either, either the dislike is because they have a fixed mindset or because they think they have failed at things and thus I can't do math. I can't. And... You might not get a kid to a point of liking the subject, but you may be able to get them to a point of at least knowing they can do it. And personally, I would love to be able to get to that point in maths. I was that kid that just didn't get it when I was going through school, pulled out into the Learning Resource Center for Mm -hmm. extra help, still wasn't passing math, and my teachers basically said, you're just not good at math. And I would freeze up when I was in the classrooms. To this day, if somebody asks me to, you know, divide the bill by four, there's that moment of panic that goes through my stomach. So the growth, the idea of a growth mindset is, trying, is, is used to kind of get people past that mm-hmm. and to grow them in a way where they, have a, where they can kind of get into at least knowing they can do something. Um, how this is established in the classroom is at first explicitly and then worked in. Um, I do teach explicit growth versus fixed mindset lessons at the beginning of the year, and we talk a lot about it, and anytime I hear a kid using a fixed mindset phrase, I'll remind them and actually ask them to reword it 
into a growth mindset phrase. I will tell my parents as part of the parent education night and right at the beginning of the year about this idea and show them videos on it and how to buy and getting kind of getting them up on the buy-in on it. And I make it a big push to establishing our community as a community that's a growth mindset community and how to encourage each other. So when they hear each other saying these things, saying these fixed mindset things, we can encourage them to say growth mindset things. And that does work. They do do that. Absolutely. Especially if you're starting at a young age. Oh, yeah. It just becomes part of the makeup. Yeah. And you will hear kids say that if they're in group work, oh, you shouldn't say that's a fixed mindset thing. What, what, what can you say better? Or they'll, they'll, you could say this and they'll give each other suggestions. And there's a lot of resources out there for uh, growth and fixed mindset, uh, phrasing, posters, and lesson resources. They're very, very obvious. Carol Dweck is the was the main kind of person who initially pushed this, and she's had many proteges. She's still around as well, but she there's a whole bunch of her proteges that are around doing pushing this too. Um, not like pushing in terms of the negative sense, but pushing in terms of like how it's effective. Right. So that's one thing you can do. Um, another thing that's become very popular is this idea of logical consequences. So when the kids do make mistakes, making sure that the consequence matches. The mistake. Right. So it's choice. not just recess detention. Yeah. Recess detention doesn't make any sense unless the kid is being physically abusive or has created an environment in recess that, in the recess environment, that makes it challenging for other kids to be there. Yes. Then it makes logical, logical sense to remove them from the recess environment. Uh, if a kid closes the door in another child's face, logical consequence, they hold the door for a whole class. You tie the consequence to the choice. Exactly. And, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes the only consequence a kid needs is just some time to think. Yeah. Create a little corner of your classroom or a short corner of the hallway outside your classroom that you could easily label like a chill zone or a thinking zone or a reflection zone and make it the space where they could actually take some time to think through it. And that'll create a really positive classroom culture because then it doesn't be, the classroom doesn't become a place of nonsensical punishments or nonsensical consequences. And by the way, that word punishment, best to avoid that one. That mm -hmm. one's been kind of going, we've established that that one is a really negative word to use and kids do not perceive the word punishment with much value because it just becomes a word that means, oh, I'm in trouble. Exactly. And a note on that thinking corner, reflecting corner, whatever, don't just use it as a consequence. Sometimes kids just need the time to go yeah. and think away yep. from other people. It could be in the middle of a lesson and they haven't done anything wrong, but they just need some time to puzzle something out. Yeah. So basically having that certain things in place to help create that positive classroom culture. And sometimes that's physical space. Sometimes it's objects too. Uh, we have whisper phones, which are basically these like, they look like old school telephones. But so you can like, if kids like to talk things through, they can talk things through and listen to themselves. Uh, or headphones of kids who work best with little noise, but there's noise in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Having things in place that will show the kids that they that you value how they learn will really help build a positive classroom culture. That relaxation or chill zone will help that too. Yeah. Uh, this year I have been lucky enough to have uh, some quiet corners in my room that have been kind of closed off a little bit or underneath other larger structures that are totally safe and constructed that way. And that creates a positive classroom culture as well, because if a kid wants to quietly read in a the corner, they can do that. They can do that. that that's there for them. 
Um, One of the changes that I've made is that I don't make a big deal out of things. No. When I first started teaching, I probably made a big deal out of way too much. But now, it's, you know, I think to myself, is that really a big deal? If I see a kid who's supposed to be in line and they're not in line and they're kind of fooling around, rather than making a big deal of it, I just tell them, I'm like, make a better choice right now. Yeah. And there's also that, on that very similar note, there are kids who will get really stressed out over little things and they'll worry about them and reassuring them that big deals versus little deals um, and kind of showing, telling them and talking through what big deals and little deals are really works. Yeah. And that really calms, calms them down. For example, like in a math game, um, a lot of certain kids that are ultra competitive will get really flustered, red in the face. Sometimes there's tears over a math game. And consistently, and it's not going to happen the first time, but consistently reminding them, big deal or little deal will help them. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another word that's wonderful where I teach my kids at the beginning of the year. It's pedantic. Ooh. Definition, excessively concerned with minor details or rules. Um, I really emphasize that with the kids. Um, because a lot of times they will be concerned with very, very small things, whether that's during an, uh, whether that is during an instructional task or a behavior thing. You kind of go, sir, sir, so-and-so did blah, 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 blah. And then you're kind of going pedantic. And they kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And then all is well. So bearing those sorts of things in, like those little things really go a long way. Um, in the United States... There's also been a big push towards something called Responsive Classroom. But in a nutshell, Responsive Classroom is, I'm quoting this from their website, is an evidence-based approach to education that focuses on the strong relationship between academic success and social-emotional learning. The Responsive Classroom approach empowers educators to create safe, joyful, and engaging learning communities where all students have a sense of belonging and feeling significant. And what this, and I want to emphasize that last little bit that they say, which is that idea of sense of belonging and Mm -hmm. feeling significant. Really important because a kid needs to feel that in order to be engaged in anything. Yeah. Um, Independent research has found that uh, feeling like a sense of belonging and feeling significant in a classroom is associated with higher academic achievement in math and reading. You improve your school climate overall. You have a higher quality of instruction, and their social-emotional learning vastly increases. Um, so, Responsive Classroom focuses a lot on this. We'll go into some how that's applied later down the road, but that is another big push these days. Look into it, responsiveclassroom.org. So, another thing that I've been doing is, and it goes back to the student's social-emotional learning, is I validate their feelings. Yeah. So I am very open with my students. I say, it's okay that you don't like something. Yeah. It's even okay not to like someone as long as you are doing your best. Yeah. And that is a big thing. You don't have to like every single person in the classroom or all the people you're working with. However, we still show them love and respect and honesty. And I, and I do give the example, I say to somebody, I said, you know, if you're put into a group with somebody you don't like and then you make a face and say, oh, I don't want to work with them. And I'll ask the cat, I'll say, do you think that person's going to do their best knowing that you don't want to be working with them and you were so vocal about it? And the answer, of course, the kids are always like, no. 
said, okay. Said, so you don't have to like somebody, but you've got to be able to work with them. Yeah, and, it, and it's the idea of validating their feelings while also ensuring that they continue on an approach that would be best for the whole classroom. So that's a big deal. It is a big deal. And I also make sure that they understand that maybe I accidentally group two students together who shouldn't actually be together. And I say, come and talk to me privately. You yeah. don't need to make it a whole class thing. No. One-on-one um, -on -one conversations are really big because it shows a personalized and individualized way of doing things and allows them to really... I guess the best way of putting it is allows them to feel like they're more significant, that they that you are truly listening to them rather than mm -hmm. just being a teacher and a talking head. Yes. Um, and for most of my groupings, I actually do stuff either by student choice or randomized. Yeah. I've got my colored popsicle sticks with different symbols and shapes and musical things on them. Yeah. And the kids never know how I'm going to call out. I might say, you know, today we're grouping for pitch. And for most of them, they know that that group is just for that day. And we'll, I mean, we'll talk about uh, how like strategies for grouping kids at a later teaching brood. That will be talk we cover in the, in the future because there are many different ways to group kids. But how you group them often pays, plays a role mm -hmm. in the uh, creating that positive classroom uh, environment. And classroom rewards are also huge too. I know we talked about it a lot about consequences. But rewards, ta sometimes tangible, sometimes internal rewards, depending on how you do it. Um, talking to them one-on-one -on -one is often a very internal reward. Sometimes an external word. I'm not talking candy. Extra free time yep. is often a big deal if you're a school that uses technology in a more, you know, you can increase, you know, iPad time or, or computer time. Um, using methods to kind of motivate kids to do better. Uh, and bringing the parents in on those rewards is clutch, too. And you can tie them into home rewards, too. Let's say a kid gets to play on a game on their iPad at home. Well, then you might be able to work in a rewards and consequences system with yep. the parent, which I've done many times, and it proves very successful. Um, and you'll see kids kind of step up to play. They need to be reminded of that system from time to time, but it does work. So definitely reinforcing those positive behaviors. Yep. A lot of schools have systems for that. Um, find some positive role models as well. Yep, absolutely. Out in the community, bring them in, have a little chat. Yep, but make sure they follow... When they talk to your kids, make sure they kind of set in line with the vision and philosophy of the school in terms of classroom environments and uh, the kind of people that you want to grow in your school. Yes. Pre-screening, definitely necessary. Absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, that's Teaching Brute for today. Have a great day. Enjoy. See ya. And, of course, if you found anything interesting, let us know about it. If you like this, found it interesting... Please subscribe, leave a review, and pass on to your friends. Absolutely. Bye, guys.